Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris, uh, normally joined by Scott Lees for the Surf and Sales podcast, but unfortunately, it's Monday, and he just got back from his Thursday night sales event in Florida. I'm sure he's just nursing himself and, uh, I don't know, maybe being lazy. So uh, my guest and I will gladly uh, bash on Scott since he's not here. Um, but want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and thank them, uh, Sendoso, uh, Scratchpad and of course Outreach.io. Uh, if you're working with or looking at any of these tools to help you grow the revenue for the rest of this year, I highly recommend them. We recommend them. Um, we've actually done the demos, and in some cases, we've used them. So, um, you know, we're we're happy to support them since they support us. Uh, be sure to go to click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Click.outreach.io slash forward slash surf. And with all that being said, I uh, want to introduce our guest, who's actually from Outreach, uh, Faraz Abdel. I think I got that right. Is that right, Faraz? You got it. You got so, it. Uh, Faraz, Faraz is the Senior Director of RevOps at Outreach. Um, he also does some advisory work at, at Sonar, which I think is always cool to talk to, to people who do advisory work. So maybe we'll dig into that around general stuff around it. But uh, thanks thanks for joining us. Oh, there he is. There he is. So... All right. Fashionably late. Fashionably late. Exactly. There he is, folks. Welcome, Scott Lease. Welcome back from Florida. Uh, yes. We have already. Uh, we're on. We're on. You doing okay, bud? Yeah, I got. I got stuck in the waiting room somehow. I don't know. Uh, it's, yeah, I know you and your tech issues. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, oh, nice to meet you, Ferris. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Nice to meet you as well. And by the way, Scott, it's for us, just so you know. For us. Beforehand, just so for you know. Um, yeah. Okay. And introduced him as Senior Director of RevOps at Outreach, but he's also an advisor at Sonar. And I thought maybe we could dig into like, what's it like to be an advisor, right? So yeah. What we can dig into that. I think that's cool. But for us, how long have you been at Outreach? Uh, been at Outreach, uh, let's say about a little under a year and a half now. Um yeah, joined uh, kind of pre-COVID as, as a lot of people changed, transitioned and changed jobs. So I was part of that cohort, uh, December of 2020. So about a year and a half. How, how have you, <laughs> I haven't even looked at your LinkedIn. Were you ever an individual contributor or, or what made you want to go into RevOps as opposed to other parts of a, of a revenue team, whether it's sales or anything? Yeah, absolutely. No, great question. So <clears throat> my, my background, <clears throat> excuse me, starting my career, uh, was absolutely sales. So I held it back for a while, did inside sales, kind of SDR right out of college, right? Typical uh, typical route there. Um, became inside sales, jumped into outside sales, uh, traveled road warrior for a little while um, early in the career, and then uh, was was working for, uh, for a large publicly traded company that um, was in a little bit of an old school industry that hadn't uh, yet embraced the idea of CRM and technology and having having oh boy that. that's pretty old school yeah 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 no CRM Richard yeah that yeah is. it was uh, literally, literally they were managing pipeline through a spreadsheet so um, uh, fun stuff as a salesperson so we started talking about CRM uh, I I tend to make my uh, opinion heard a lot of places probably annoyingly so uh, so I talked about CRM enough because I used it in a previous role that they said okay great so go help us find one. Um, and we, we tackled the Salesforce world. And, and honestly, through that project, I 
I became super passionate in love with the concept of, of setting up processes for sales teams. And, uh, and transparently, it was an opportunity for me as well, because it, traditionally, I had seen people that, that typically manage or run revenue tech stacks or CRMs tend to be more IT background uh, focused and not as much sales focused. So um, it helped me kind of translate you know, I've lived, I've walked in the shoes. I've lived the life. Let, let's do this because I know it's going to be easier and yeah. help resonate with, with sales teams as well. And then, you know, I've always, I've always thought that was super important to have somebody in RevOps who's done the job of a salesperson before, and even maybe done the job of a sales manager, sales leader before. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's interesting to hear somebody who's running RevOps at a, what I would call a large company now. I think Outreach has like a thousand employees, right? Yeah, we're, we're over that. Yeah, it's even yeah you're over that now. Yeah, share that kind of uh, worldview. So, what's the difference between running RevOps at a company with like twenty people versus a thousand plus where you're at right now? Uh, that's a great question. So, I I did I did do the whole like small startup. Um, uh, life as well, where where I did work at a company that was actually a little less than fifty employees, and and my role there was relatively unique. It was it was a pretty cool transitionary role, but I managed half of the AEs, uh, the SDR team, and I was revenue operations. Uh, so you know, touching kind of multiple pieces of the, of the the revenue cycle there. And I, to answer your question, I think the biggest difference is as when you're working for smaller companies or or more startup focused companies, right? you're very much more of a doer. Uh, so you're setting the plan, you're setting the strategy, you're really looked at as the you know, go-to kind of one-stop shop for, for anything operational, but you're also the one has to go in and code and potentially configure within Salesforce, work on integrations with other tools. Whereas as, as you scale and, and working at companies with, with outreach, you know, for example, now, uh, a lot of it is managing, you know, uh, managing enterprise risk, uh, setting prioritization for the team so they know what to work on and when, um, setting up operating rhythms so that we can do uh, a lot of work without having to do the easy answer of let's just hire ten more people, right? Resources is is not as much of a of a of a velocity play as as an operating rhythm, um, <clears throat> where you know, and then and then also. It, it grows from sales. We've been talking about sales a lot, which everybody thinks about. Where right, revenue operations is much more than sales, right? It's the entire revenue life cycle. So it, it is talking to customer success. It's talking to professional services. It's uh, looking at our demand generation and marketing operations teams and ensuring that the entire revenue life cycle is working off of one solid funnel. There aren't gaps. The right hand is talking to the left, right? And that's that's where a majority of, of my time is spent now at a company at the size of outreach is, is connecting those dots and, and also flagging, Hey, we have some enterprise risk here. Let's have a conversation as a leadership team to determine how we're going to handle this risk. What do you mean? So you say enterprise risk, let's, let's dig in on that. What's an indicator of enterprise risk for those listening. And then how do you maybe try and adjust that? Yeah, no, great question. So enterprise risk to me is, um, if you're looking primarily at a revenue life cycle, right? Can we do things like, for example, quote to cash? Can we properly process a transaction? Um, can we easily quote? Like, for example, let's say we're putting out uh, a new product or a new pricing and packaging uh, methodology, right? 
will this now work for all of our sales reps to where they can very clearly implement this new process or, or, or price book and, and be able to go and, and quote it? Can we then properly in the system put together an executable order form that the team can now go and, and actually get signatures from, from prospect or customers? Um, does whatever we're doing now, does it heavily impact, for example, expansion and, and, and uh, land and, you know, land and expand revenue versus is it purely a new logo play? And if it, you know, if the scope was new logo, my team needs to look at it and say, okay, this makes sense for new logo, but we, we have some risk here on land and expand. So we need to look at this other lens that says, you know, for our customer base, maybe we need to adjust one or two, or maybe we need to have a, a different flavor or stop gap or whatever it is. Um, and then ultimately all the way to what does the, and, and to me, the most important, what does the customer experience look like? They sign that, that document, they're turned on, they're now speaking to somebody outreach that's working on provisioning, right? Do we have risk there? Um, and if we do, we, we obviously need to assess, does this project make sense? Does the timeline make sense? Do we need to potentially push the date? Do we need to adjust, uh, well, you know, what's the minimum viable product that we're launching, right? There, there's a lot of different aspects of the, of the revenue lifecycle that could have it. And, um, you know, in other words, there's impact analysis and then there's risk assessment. It's really, it's really that risk assessment on, are we willing to when, swallow this risk and deal with it or not? When do you start to take, as you grow, and, you know, I know you've only been in outreach for a year, so they were pretty big by the time you got there. Mm -hmm. In your mind, at what stage does an organization need to make that shift, right? Because I think, you know, or, you know, particularly in early stage startups and Scott, I'd be curious, you know, with, with you, where you experienced this of like, okay, this is becoming way bigger and we need to start looking at this at this 60,000 foot view, which for some can be frustrating because it's not super tactical and it's like, just it adds layers, right? I can see Scott liking it. I could see Scott getting really frustrated with it. Um, in both regards. So for, uh, for us, curious where you think, and then Scott, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, having been a, an executioner of stuff like this. Yeah, I think it, it's, a, it's a really great question because it talks about the balance of being able to run fast and pivot, right? Like if you're, right. you're going to mess up, mess up quickly and then and make adjustments as you need to grow. I, I personally, you know, the, the revenue operations operator in me says, you should always think about impact and risk analysis. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll, maybe it doesn't need to be as elaborate as a, as a full scale enterprise level project that's touching the entire life cycle, but it should be taken into consideration because I think I could speak for many, uh, many revenue operations practitioners is that the toughest part of our jobs is usually overcoming any type of operational or technical debt that we inherited when we joined an organization, right? Somebody made some decision, built some wonky process, you know, two years ago, and now we have to either make decisions on, do we band-aid this, do we duct tape this, or do we blow it up and rebuild it, right? And if risk assessment and impact analysis is done earlier in that company's life cycle, then, then hopefully we'd add a little bit of those things. Yeah, but where do you do that? I, it's a good answer, but like, is it, when we have this many logos, when we hit this level, of yeah, you're you're looking for specific numbers and milestones and stuff and stuff like that, right, Richard? That's what I like to hear, but I'm tactical that yeah. way, right? He yeah. wants it to be very make it simple for us. Make it simple. Yeah. When you get to 100 customers, must hire next person. 
Yeah, that's tough, man. Uh, Richard's trying to corner me in. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I necessarily have a number because I think a lot, a lot factors into that. I will say, I think a, maybe it's not a number, but hopefully this is specific enough for you, and you can, you can give me crap if it's not. Um, I, I think once you make the decision that you're going to have new logo or sales based uh, employees, and then more customer success based employees, like for example, I work for a company less than fifty employees, and we had that split. Right earlier in their life, it was a full cycle. Like if if Richard sold the deal, he's end to end that there. I think when you start separating those worlds into pre-sale and post-sale, is a really good time to start bringing in some. That's a great answer. I think that's good, Scott. What do you think? What's your what's your thought around this? One thought that I had was something for us said about how at the very beginning, you know, you're wearing all the hats, and he used a specific phrase, coding in Salesforce and that kind of thing. And, and one of the things that I think is there comes a point in time where tool familiarity cannot be the only like hiring criteria. So I can't just only hire somebody who has familiarity with like coding Salesforce because inevitably we're going to bring in new tools and systems that, you know, maybe somebody's never worked on before or the existing team member has experience with one or two things, but not the third and fourth kind of thing. So that's, that's one milestone that I think of Richard, where it's like, okay, we've grown to a place where we maybe need like an LMS now. And we have nobody on the team who's got experience like coding an LMS or something like that. Or Faraz is my senior level person. And yes, he can code Salesforce, but I actually need him to do all this other stuff now, he doesn't have time to code Salesforce, so I hire somebody who very specifically is like a Salesforce kind of admin engineer type person. What, what do you think about that for us? Have I thought about it wrong all these years or am I on to something? You're 100% spot on. And it's the general, I think, growth of what uh, typically, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's it's typically what happens, right, is a company as you know, as they're starting out and they're starting to get to that, that phase one, going into phase two, right? Seed round and starting to get some funding, right? They'll, they'll hire somebody to your point, right? That is a Salesforce administrator developer and say, hey, Salesforce administrator developer, you are our revenue operations team. And those are very two, two very different functions, right? Somebody that is very tech focused and specifically for a tool like Salesforce. And I don't even, I'm not even thinking about it, Scott, from like, you bring up a good point, but I think that's even, you know, less impactful. It's not even the rest of the tech stack, right? Because for the most part, if, if you're a, an experienced Salesforce admin or developer, right? You, you probably can can mess around with some other tools and integrations usually are very Salesforce kind of oriented because of their ecosystem. Uh, but it's really all of the other, in my opinion, I don't say more important, but but critical pieces of revenue operations, which is what does the process look like? Yeah. Right. That the tool is the vehicle. What does the process look like? And you're you're spot on. Typically, it just becomes this bandwidth kind of issue, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Typically, what companies do again, they hire the administrator. And then as the company starts growing, they say, okay, either you're, you're going to be our senior kind of person that, that runs this function, or we're going to hire one. But then they start splitting Salesforce administration from truly operational uh, kind of process. So that's, that's absolutely typically what I've seen. I would vote that it's more important to do, do it the other way around. 
and then third-party contract the actual development and, and admin work because I think the process is more important than you know fingers on keyboards. So, if you third-party the process, as you said, third-party the tool management, not the process. I think process yeah. Okay, okay. The tool, the tool management part. Let's say we third-party that. Walk through some of the potential pitfalls or disadvantages of doing that. What does somebody have to look out for who's running a sales org or running a, a RevOps team right now? I mean, other than the obvious of like, you picked a shit vendor and they didn't actually do the work. <laughs> like, what is a pitfall that they might, you know, run into as something maybe they're not thinking about that you've experienced and had to navigate? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's a couple. One, cost, obviously, depending on, you know, what size company you are, there could be a substantial investment that needs to be made in getting kind of a full-time third-party contractor. Um, second is, is to me, time management, because managing a third-party contractor is still probably going to be a good portion of somebody's bandwidth, right? Uh, being able to provide business requirements, doing some of the testing. Um, and, then, and then third, which is, I think, the most pivotal is is all the pivots that happen naturally as you're a growing company, right? Something may be one way for, for this week and then next week it's like, nope, we're going to go in a completely different direction. And, and um, you know, third party and just, I think developers or administrators in general, that's probably their biggest pet peeve is, wait, you've had me work on something for now, you know, maybe four to six weeks. And now you're telling me, scratch it, we're going to go in a different direction. Whereas if it was somebody that's more internal, they're able to be a little bit more versatile in that in that aspect because they understand, you know, the the business requirements and the business reasons why we're potentially making a shift. Whereas a, a traditional, you know, third party contractor or administrator is just going to be, hey, there's this ticket. I'm going to have this, you know, sprint format. I'm going to go through this this workload. Um, and understanding the business side of it is is typically not as uh, top of mind for them, right? So Scott, you had a comp question, go for it. Yeah, well, you, got, you caught me in the middle of taking, taking a note there. Um, <clears throat> I got a question about compensation now, changing gears entirely before Richard goes to talking about the life of an advisor, which is near and dear to my heart. On, on, on the compensation side, I'm gonna fire off a, a couple like quick answer questions and then, and then hopefully I get to the, the, the deeper uh, response one. Should RevOps have variable comp? Yes or no? Yes. How much should it be weighted? Meaning sales is often like 50-50 base and variable. How do you weight RevOps comp? Um, I was just going to throw a number out. 80-20, 90-10. I mean, in, 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 that, in that ballpark or some sort of bonus structure, right? Where it's a percentage of your actual salary that you get based on revenue numbers. So maybe it's not a full out complete split of variable yeah. 80, 20 or 50, 50, but there, I, I, I view my team as a part of the go-to-market organization. And I think, I personally think everybody's goal should be whatever the, the, the number company goal is. I right? love that. You've got, to, you've got to all, you know, and, and it's, it's the balance, right? Because you, everybody touches the ability for somebody to close a deal. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, the sales team gets, you know, the accolades, the president's club and so on and so forth. And, and those are the things that, for example, at outreach, which 
I absolutely love, right? We, we bring in other members from support teams to join things like President's Club because they are a very, very vital piece of that process. Um, so that, that's why I think we should all have the same goal. One more okay. okay, now here's my deeper question. Okay. If everybody's got the same goal and RevOps has variable comp, if everybody's getting a piece of the pie, how is there even enough pie left to go around to feed the business? How are we making enough profit? How will our margins make any sense? Oh man, this is, so there's a couple of a uh, couple of ways to take. That's a good question. Uh, one, sell more. That's what every executive is going to tell you. Stays the same. Like if I'm still giving away that much percent, every deal doesn't necessarily scale. Exactly. And I think that's where, that's where you should, um, that's where you should really look at what you're, what you're necessarily comping on, for example, right? Is it, is it purely your, your gross number? Is it your net number, right? If it's your gross number, you're trying to incentivize, right? Because whenever you, you incentivize something, you're, you're creating behavior. So are you trying to incentivize more deals? Are you trying to incentivize bigger lands, um, are you looking at your net number or your NRR number, for example, like if you're CS operations, maybe it's NRR and you're what really, is, for those who don't know, what is NRR? NRR is net revenue retention. So if you started the year making a um, hundred dollars as a company, I'm just going to use round numbers because I'm not that smart. And then you, uh, you end the year making $102, your, your NRR is 102%, right? Um, so you're trying to, to, live in that sweet spot of starting and ending ARR. So this is all based on account recurring revenue. So how do you, you know, my answer to that question, Scott, is, well, that's what a CFO is there for, except they're going to come in and squeeze everybody. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean. Part of the answer is everybody's commissions get trimmed a little bit, potentially, potentially, which is not a good, well, not I, a I good solution if you're for us or I. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it, it's it's a part of it, but it's really it depends on what you know what role you're in as well, right? Because then then you're you're talking about comp structures for for actual go to market personnel like AEs, for example, where theirs is based on performance and accelerators, and there's bonus payouts. Whereas support functions, to me, like a revenue operations or strategic functions, is the terminology that I'm trying to get the industry to change, right? Not a support team or strategic partner. Strategic functions within the organization based solely off of the top line number and having a, a bonus structure there. Also with accelerators, right? If the company hits 105%, what does that look like versus 120% versus 85%? Um, I think you can get to, to Rich's point, right? Like the CFO has got to figure out how the numbers work, right? But it should be based on performance uh, across the board, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I wonder if that's also too, when you're a public company where you can, you actually have real stock to give. Yeah. Right. You can, you can actually give away value. Equity is a big part of it. hundred percent. Right. Sure. Um, it's harder. It's harder, you know, like at an outreach to, I think outreach is going to do very well. And I think they eventually, I don't know anything about it. I'm going to make sure I say that, but I assume you guys are going to go public, but um, it's a little bit harder though, when you're a startup and that equity kind of doesn't really mean anything um, until it really means something and it could be years out. But, um, but I wonder if that's a piece of this conversation too, that, I'm certainly not qualified to, to really answer, but I can certainly ask. Um, I want to shift a little bit. Um, um, 
Well, I got two questions. One, I'm going to go back into your life. Oh, you, you, you're a little bit like me because you know, I think Scott noticed this in me is that I, I'm, I'm okay at sales and sales leadership and management, but I, I really dig into process, right? Like that's Scott noticed that early on when he and I started working together, um, which I thought I, which I, I know too. Were you always process oriented? Like if we went back and asked your parents, oh yeah, this doesn't surprise us that he likes to be disorganized. Were you, were you that kid? Um, I was, I, organized is probably an interesting word. I don't know if I was the most organized thinking back, especially if I'm thinking about college, I'm like, I probably should have been a little bit more organized. Um, but definitely more of a routine based person where things kind of fit into certain slots for me in my head. Um, and that, that in essence is a process, right? Like even till now, my routine in the day is very important that it stays relatively similar or I get my, the feng shui get thrown off. Right. Um, and, and, you know, adjusting to, you know, into the pandemic, it was very important, especially early on working from home to still keep the same routine in the morning. Right. So it was funny because it's funny to bring that up because a lot of people are like, Oh, working from home was great. Cause you get to, you know, sleep in an extra hour to replace the commute. And I'm like, Oh no, that would like totally like, mess me up like I need to wake up same time do the whole you know get up take a shower have my coffee have breakfast and and that was important it's just rather than driving I'm just going upstairs right <laughs> um but uh yeah definitely definitely more routine focused and process focused maybe not as much organized as as I would like to be that that actually sounds familiar to me too <laughs> that's how the structure matters I went through that when I was looking for jobs. I still got up at seven in the morning and I went to the gym and I started my job search at eight. And then I was, you know, in that world, I stopped by about noon. because I was just like, you can't look for a job eight hours a day. But um, anyway, I want to shift over to the advisory stuff. Um, You know, it, you know, I guess the first question is um, how did you even get to be an advisor? Did you know them? Did they know you? Did you used to work for somebody? Like, where does that, I have people always ask me, like, how do you become an advisor? And it's kind of like, it really is one of those things where it's like, I don't know, people just kind of ask, but I think it, you know, it's like, yeah. And then there's the part where it's like, what do you actually do? Right. What the hell is an advisor? Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I absolutely love this story. Um, and it's a really good question. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sonar. So um, one, I'll, I'll preface it by saying a lot of people look at, uh, being an advisor is more of like a resume builder. And, and that was, that was never really my focus personally. Um, I have two small kids, married, growing family. It was never my intention to add things onto my plate. Right. Um, that, you know, and and some people are okay with that. Right. It's like, no, I want to be an advisor to seven companies and, um, you know, jump into those calls and do those things. And, and that was never a focus of mine, but my, my, my story with Sonar is pretty unique. So I was, um, before outreach, I was, uh, at another, uh, very successful hyper growth company here based out of Raleigh called Pindo and, um, the managing revenue operations there as well. And, uh, really cool with the, with the AEs, right. Had really close relationships with the sales team. We sat on the sales floor, which was a really big focus of mine. Like I wanted us to sit between AEs. So we were literally between ex- account executives where is where my team physically sat. 
And um, one of the founders of Sonar, uh, Brad, so if he listens to, the, listens to this, so shout out, shout out to Brad. Um, Brad decided to follow part of his dream and go and, and start his own, his own thing, right? So uh, went out, started Sonar, and was actually a champion of Pindo as one of our customers at the time. And uh, reached out to his account executive, and um, the 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 AE came up to me. and was like, "Hey, Frost, would love this favor if you don't if you don't mind. Just like I have this champion, a customer of mine that's that's doing his own gig, and um, it's a revenue operations based tool, and and he wants to demo for you. Um, and you know, really would love it if you if you jumped in and looked at him, kind of gave him gave him some time. Uh, so I was like, yeah, of course, you know." Um, Side note, that happens a lot with revenue operations leaders is we, we end up just getting demos from a bunch of random companies as, you know, as, as a thing. Yeah. No one so, does more uh, demos than you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And and uh, to be honest, one, I, I really appreciated kind of Brad's um, work ethic and, and intelligence in the space and understanding the functionality of revenue operations and rather than, you know, just looking at it as a glorified sales ops team um it, that that was that stood out to me and ultimately the the product like the tool is badass um and it resonated with me really well um as as a salesforce administrator leader in that in that ecosystem i was like man there is absolutely a need for this um, what do you and, do so now we now we know how you got there let's fast forward a yeah little so bit. so fast forward uh you know uh the the team asked me to be an advisor i do a lot of um what I help Brad with is, is one, a few speaking engagements, either to his team or his customers, you know, looking at things like revenue operations at scale at companies like Outreach, um, where, you know, most of his customer base tends to be smaller companies. They want to know what, what does my future look like uh, rev ops wise and how Sonar plays a part in that. And then uh, secondly, a lot of product development. I, I'd say most of our conversations are around product development. Um what's needed in the space, what's the day-to-day look like, what are we using it for, what, you know, what do typically Salesforce teams, uh, you know, how do they do X or Y and, and giving, you know, ideas and, and testing things, being alpha users to things um, across the space. Uh, so I would say primarily uh, product development. How often do you, how much time do you spend with them as an advisor? Um, I'd say I probably spend... I'd say probably a couple hours every two weeks to a month. I mean, it's not a huge time lift. It's more if there's an event coming up, maybe it, it you know, it raises the average a little bit. Otherwise, it could be, you know, emails or, or looking at results or helping connect network personnel. Right. That, I get a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you can speak generically or directly. How do, how do advisors get comped? Like if someone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to be an advisor, what do they offer? What do you expect? What do you, where do you settle? What do you think? Um, so my, my personal opinion, depending on the scenario, right, um, is it depends on how much you believe in the product and the company, the leadership of the product. I think if it's, you know, I've seen various scenarios where it's, uh, it's almost like a consultant type of thing. Like there's this many hours and you can charge X based on, you know, based on how many hours you're willing to commit. Uh, I've seen that in, in places. I I personally kind of play the, I'm not going to be advisor for a company that I don't believe has scale and, and has a really badass product. And that's where equity and advisory shares come in. So, so what do you think that is? Is that quarter percent, half percent, full percent? What do you think? 
Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have an opinion on what the amount is. I think it's basically well, the, 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 the sort of negotiation standard, <laughs> the sort of standard is a quarter point. Yeah. Right? So a quarter of one percentage point is sort of the standard advisory kind of amount. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I would, I don't know if I have an opinion on what the, what the amount is too much or too little. I think it depends on one, what's going to be your, you know, time commitment. Uh, okay, so oh, so let me let me let me change the question then. Why equity and not cash? Uh, because if and from my perspective, if you believe in the company and their growth, then the equity is going to be. I believe that X percent is going to be of a higher number than whatever you could pay me now. Okay, so let's let's do some of the math and let's challenge this this thinking okay. just right. for the hell just for the hell of it. Okay, so let's say you, let's say you get an advisory gig, and you get a quarter point. Okay, and that is going to vest over four years. Okay. So let's say you you vest everything, and they have given you you know ten thousand shares, right? Okay. Let's say just for the hell of it and simple math that actually isn't true and makes no sense that it's ten dollars a share, and all of a sudden you you're sitting on a hundred grand for four years worth of work. Yep. Okay. Follow my crappy math so far. I'm with you. I'm with okay. You. I'm, I'm okay. So now, now let's say instead of that, you got them to pay you $2,000 a month for four years, which is a little shy of 100K. But that's guaranteed money versus hypothetical money. Why would you take equity and not the mm. cash? Or would you under this? Weird. I think it, it, if I was if I was given those two options, it probably I have to think about it, right? Because then you have like actual numbers to play with, rather right. than this like concept of like, oh, this could be the you know a right. great company that's one day going through an acquisition or a certain exit, right? And and um, but but when there's you know when there's cash in hand and actual numbers, then obviously you want to you want to think about it and see all of your options. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't yeah. necessarily think one of and, and it's compounding uh, interest, right? Like if you took that twenty five hundred and you invested it, you know, you didn't do anything else with it for four years, right? Other than invest yeah. it, then that's that's worthy of something. It's worth it's worth thinking about and exploring. And it's a it's an interesting topic. And I don't know if there's if there's right or wrong. For example, yeah, you're probably not going to be a paid advisor for somebody for four years. Exactly. So if we get into the real practicality of it all, it's probably more like. Would you rather have the hope of 100K or the promise of an actual 25K? Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. also, you know, you, you tend to be, you know, most of the time they're, they're trying to bring on, companies are trying to bring on advisors earlier in their life cycle, right? Where cash flow is an important thing. Like that was $2,000 if they have four or five advisors, that could be a full-time employee or a couple of full-time employees actually. So there, there's also that aspect of the work as well as like, you know, to Canadian yeah. before something so, like that. And this is something I, I've learned in the last year and a half or two. Um, and actually something I didn't learn from Scott, which is unusual because I usually learn everything from Scott. <laughs> um, but uh, is that particularly for the advisory roles, you don't, you don't go to a four-year vest. It's somewhere between two and three. That's also true. It's often, often shorter vesting. Shorter, yeah. Right. Um, and for me, when I talk to people, I try to push it to two and I'm like, well, because I'm trying to get you there faster. Yeah. Like, you don't want me, you don't need me hanging around for four years. 
um, to some degree, right? Uh, so, so that just for those who are listening, like it's not always a four-year vest. Like if someone ever asks you to do it, you can always ask for a two or three-year vest. And then it's depending on who I'm talking to, it makes it does make my eyebrow go up if they say four-year vest. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if they really know how this works. Um, which, yeah, that, that's either good a, that, or bad. Like that's just like, in some ways that's a good signal because it means they're going to take more of my advice um, because they don't know. So, uh, so no, I, that's I, a, I, such a great point. The, the other aspect is, you know, the company is going to be very different potentially three years from now. And does yep. this person still make sense as an advisor for that right. level right. of the company, right? Um, you know, it's like giving athletes shorter term contracts because you're like, yeah, I don't know what this is going to look like in two years. Yep. Yeah. So we're, we're at the end. And by the way, for us, I forgot to tell you that we get to flip it and you can ask us a question. So you got about 30 seconds to think of one hmm. if okay. you want. Um, but a uh, quick shout out to all our sponsors of Scratchpad, Sendoso, and of course, Outreach.io. Uh, click.outreach.io forward slash surf, click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Anytime we have someone from outreach uh, and you fill out that form, we tell them that um, for us, said you get a 99.99% discount. So that <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. He pays for it. He actually pays for it. Right. Exactly. Personally. <laughs> so he's not worried about his net, his NRR net revenue retention anymore. So, um, but anyway, just uh, seriously though, we really appreciate everybody supporting us and the event is still coming up in May. Uh, anybody's got a last minute spiff or for us, you know, you just said you had two kids. So I think it's time for you to pull a, Hey honey, I need a little, you know, a little, a little, uh, step away for about four days. So I'm, I'm going to be gone to Costa Rica, May 10th through 14th. Right. Um, I'll be here for mother's day though. Um, <laughs> so anyway, thank you everybody. And then for us, what, what's your question? What do you want to know? Uh, what do I want to know? Um, all right, maybe maybe we'll ask a, a, a side question because Scott's background is very intriguing. Uh, Jim Kelly, love him. Great years. Is this going to be Bill's year? Josh Allen going to oh, make man. that jump? First of all, if you know anything about people from Western New York, they'll never proclaim <laughs> it's their year. Fair so I sure. refuse to state that, but <laughs> I will say that uh, I feel pretty good that that will be competitive and in the mix for sure. Agreed, hundred percent. Yes. See, that's why you got to have interesting things in your background. You know, when people ask you interesting questions. Yeah, I need to get a couple more. So, besides my sweatshirt that's sticking on the back of my table back there. So. Yeah, exactly. And All right, for us, Scott, why you have like a half-filled cocktail glass that's been there for like three weeks? Like, how much more? Oh no, that you can't tell. That's actually a little ceramic thing. Hold on. This is important, you know. Oh, this I is a little was... ceramic cup right here that has waves, and uh, one of our past it says least tequila. Oh, there it, it is. Yeah, it just sort of looks. I can't. There, yeah. see, it looks like a half-filled glass of yeah. leftover. It's not. Yeah, that was a gift from a former uh, surf and sales attendee right there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice yeah. Place. <laughs> there you go awesome man for us this was aw this was great this thing flew by totally flew absolutely by. it was it was a pleasure and always always love talking about revenue operations right it's uh it's the conversation a lot of people are having right now and it's important to yeah. get yeah. the message out cool if, i assume linkedin's an easy way to get a hold of you how else you want yeah absolutely yeah shoot me a linkedin message anytime cool cool and, and last question is your revops team recruiting are you hiring we're always hiring. We're always hiring. If you're there, you go. 
Yeah, we're always always have room for great personnel. So uh, there's some badasses out there that 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 uh, want to join the outreach team. Reach out, absolutely. Cool, man. Thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. All right, absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Yeah.